It's the final third podcast. We're talking about the U.S. men's national team winning Group B at the Gold Cup unconvincingly. The MLS midseason review, which teams are doing well, which teams are doing poorly. Talk about uh, some hot transfers in the European scene as well. I know a lot of you guys are here for that U.S. men's national team corner that I do. So I left uh, a timestamp down in the description below for you guys to Skip right to it if you want to listen to that first. As always, give us a review and a rating wherever you listen to us on and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Those links will be in the show notes below. Let's get on to the show. All right, welcome back to the Final Third podcast news and prediction episode. We are the number one soccer variety podcast, Undisputed really undisputed. My name is AJ Tabura. We have a great show for you guys today, but I support Minnesota United. Great, great weekend for us. West Ham United and the U.S. national team. A so-so weekend for us, I I suppose. And as always, I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you feeling? Uh, Pretty good. A little tired because I just got back from California, but actually... Not that tired because it feels like about seven or eight as we're recording this. I know for you, it feels like around 10 because it is yeah. around 10. But yeah, uh, no plane delays for the first time on all my yeah. vacation in this summer, which was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Jack is back. We, we were pre-recorded an episode last week, but the last news and prediction episode, Jack wasn't here. We're glad to have him here uh, as always. And I'm kind of curious to talk to you about your trip, Jack. Like, what did you do? I know you post on Twitter. You had a little uh, Jersey Safari where you 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 documented all the different uh, soccer kits that you saw during your trip. To tell us about that, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, well, I I'm like a huge fan of Disney. I've been to Disney parks like probably 30 times. I I think now, uh, but I I was just like uh, on the first day. I, as soon as we got into the park, I saw someone in an LAFC jersey, and I was like, huh, I wonder if I should just count how many soccer jerseys yeah. I see. So I just committed to it, and that's what I ended up doing. Uh, you know, on the first day, I think I, I saw a, a little kid rocking a Pulisic USMNT right, shirt, right. which was pretty sick. I saw a Denmark jersey, some Nashville SC representation. Uh, surprisingly, no LA Galaxy, but two LAFC ones. And I think most bizarre of all, was an Armenian national team jersey. Right. I have no idea what compelled that person to get it. I can only assume they're from Armenia, but you know, whatever. They they still they still had it, and uh, uh, I I I thought it was pretty fun to go through all that and you know try and find all those jerseys. And I, I'm upset that I didn't see any Minnesota United ones, uh, but yeah, uh, I I brought that by wearing one uh, nice. while I was there. So nice. Yeah, I, I saw you had. Holstein Kiel. Yeah. That, 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 that's kind of crazy. Uh, also, the MLS, not like like an MLS all-star jersey, but the, just like an MLS training kit, I think was a, a little weird. Yeah, it was, especially because it was like a little kid wearing it. It, it was like, Interesting. He, he, he was wearing that. His brother was wearing a DC United shirt and he was wearing a DC United hat. So they were all kitted out and everything. So Nice, nice. I also saw one club that was 
something called Mad Caddo's FC. And yeah. I, have, I have no idea what that is. I, I looked what it up that? later. It's it's like a design brand that was uh, created by Gold.com. You know, okay. That. So it, I guess it wasn't an actual jersey, but I, I saw that and I was like, well, it looks like a jersey. <laughs> so I included it on there anyway, because it is like, you know, you have to be pretty invested in soccer, I feel like, to get a a, a fake jersey designed by a, a, by a soccer company. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll count that. We'll count that. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's eligible. <laughs> if you guys want to see the rest of Jack's amazing list of the different uh, jerseys that he saw in Disneyland in California, go check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. Those links will be in the show notes below. Jack, how about we just get right into uh, today's episode, the newsroom? What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, first off. In the newsroom, you know, obviously we talk about the big news stories happening in soccer today. We're going to be covering MLS. We're going back to, you know, what we love most, which is, you know, American soccer stuff that pertains to us. We're going to talk about some European transfers as well as some lower league stuff in JAXA, lower league lowdown. So let's go right into our first segment in the newsroom, which is the MLS midseason review. We are quite literally at the the third way through the the season we, we are one third of the way through the season we kind of have a look at how the playoffs are gonna work out we're, we're seeing like the different trends with the teams so we thought we we're gonna just go over and cover how the, the the entire season is stacking up for major league soccer and i'll start us off by going over the playoff teams as it stands right now in the East, it's New England, Philadelphia, Orlando, Montreal, Nashville, Columbus, and NYCFC in that order. Worth noting that New York Red Bulls and DC United are right on the bubble. In the West, it is Seattle Sounders in a commanding lead, followed by Sporting Kansas City, LA Galaxy, Colorado Rapids, LAFC, Minnesota United, Portland Timbers, and as well as RSL and Houston knocking on the doorsteps. We decided to kind of divide going over the MLS uh, midseason awards, if you can call it that, in three main categories, the impressive teams, the disappointing teams, and specific MVP players, like the best players. So let's go over the impressive teams. Jack, overall, which are the teams that you uh, were most impressed by? Well, most impressed by, in my eyes at least, doesn't mean like the best of the best teams, but just teams that I think have kind of overperformed as well. So obviously like New England have been impressive. Seattle Sounders, Sporting KC have been impressive. LA Galaxy. But I think the most impressive teams for me have been Montreal, Nashville, and probably Colorado. I think, I think okay. those are like okay. the most impressive given the expectations I had for them. Montreal, I had like pretty far outside of the playoffs. I think I had them like 12th in the in the East. So, you know, they're in fourth right now. And they had a, an impressive, well, maybe not impressive, but a, a fun win to watch over Cincinnati this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've been really impressive because I didn't think they'd be anywhere near this because all they had added was Jordi Mihailovic, really. And no, they, they, proved, they proved me wrong with that and kind of got all the pieces together. And Nashville as well. I mean, they're, they've put together a really impressive run of form they haven't lost in five games including a 5-1 battering of the chicago fire Mm -hmm. so that that that's been really impressive and you know 
they they beat the Philadelphia Union as well. Uh, they drew against Atlanta, which maybe not as impressive as usual, but <laughs> still in a rivalry game, pretty good. And and then for Colorado, I mean, I had them finishing outside of the playoffs, like pretty comfortably. Like right. I think I had them tenth place. Uh, but they're in fourth. They're they're playing really really well, honestly. Uh, not not as good as all the other teams in the in the West, but you know pulling off some good wins and yes that includes the win over minnesota united that two was wins impressive. actually two of them yeah they yeah. were both pretty impressive let's be real they they mm-hmm. were they were impressive wins and they are impressing me at least I, I i like the direction you took because i feel like when people talk about impressive teams we talk a lot about the really dominant teams but yeah like it, there is something to say about the teams that are most impressive are the ones that punch up they're able to punch above their weight, and that's what those teams are doing. However, I'm also going to talk about some of the more dominant teams because I, you know, yeah. we got I got to give them credit. You know, true, like true. New England, Heel and Bo have been revelations, and they're now four points above second place in the East. We had a a New England podcaster on just a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, we're now biased towards uh, New England. We love them. Whatever Nashville, like you mentioned, I, I, I got to highlight them again very strongly in the fifth place in the East, having only lost just one game. Like, that that's crazy. The defense is so strong. Uh, Seattle, they're the only undefeated team. Well, not anymore, actually. They were the only yeah. undefeated team in the league. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just, just nine goals conceded now uh, in top of the whole table still. Sporting KC, very, very quietly in the second in the East. I feel like most pundits overlooked them, especially after the fact that they got first in the West last year and to get overlooked, very impressive by them to keep up. Jack, we predicted uh, some very specific predictions in uh, the, the last three months where, you know, we went over like the golden boots, uh, golden ball, supporter shield, MLS cup, all of our predictions for that. Who were your MLS cup supporter shield and dark horse team picks and, and how's that looking right now? Well, MLS Cup, I had Minnesota United, and it, it's looking okay. It's achievable still. Yeah, but Techni- it's, technically, yes, it's it is achievable. It's technically achievable, yeah. but it doesn't look as good as it did at the beginning of the season. The new signings just clicked at first and then slowly unclicked over time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that was a bit of a, of a shocker to see. I, I, most, you know, most people would see that going the other way around, but whatever. Uh, not looking the best, but what's really not looking the best was my supporters shield pick <laughs> because I had LAFC at that. Uh, and that's it's not looking still good technically at all. possible. Still yes. Technically possible. Yes. But they're also in fifth with 21 points, which is eight behind in the golden boot or sorry, not golden boot supporters shield race. Yeah. Uh, so it's not looking, best i thought they'd kind of come out swinging but that really didn't happen they had a pretty slow start to the season and turned it up a little bit later and if you want to win the supporters shield you kind of have to be at 100 percent for most of the season instead yes. of instead of what lafc have done which is definitely not being at that 100 mm-hmm. for the whole season and oh and then uh dark horse pick I, I've I've got to be honest. My file got corrupted uh, with oh, all no. of my with all of my predictions on it. But I feel like 
I I thought I put I'm I'm gonna get this wrong or something, but I I think I had like Nashville as like a, a as a dark horse pick. That that seem that seems right because I really like Nashville as a team. Mm-hmm. And I placed them in about fifth place, which is where they are right now. Nice. Uh and you know, they I, I thought they kind of shaped up the defense a little bit more. And I knew they had a good defense from last season. And, you know, that doesn't look like the worst pick right now. So at least yeah. maybe I have one out of three, may, hopefully two. I'll, if Minnesota United can break <laughs> the Minnesota trophy. I would love curse. that. I would but, love that. You know, uh, we can see we can see about that later. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure whoever was listening to the podcast like back then is like a very dedicated listener is going to like DM us on Twitter. Like, yeah, oh, you guys are idiots. Didn't you know Jack picked uh, Jack picked Toronto FC is is the oh I hope is, not. Is oh God. team. Yeah, <laughs> I no way. I really hope not. That's not the case. Uh, for me, I'm kind of in a good spot, kind of not in a great spot. Supporter Shield, just like you, I'm in a I'm in a terrible spot. <laughs> I picked Atlanta United as my supporter Ooh, shield. Yeah, that's way worse than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not looking great at all. I had Orlando as my MLS Cup winner. And honestly, like they're like in a good spot. I I, I think they have a good a team that could make a playoff run. Not supporter shield for them personally, but you know, MLS Cup run, not bad, not bad. And I had New England as my dark horse team, which is looking extremely good. In yeah. fact, I probably shouldn't have picked them as my dark horse team. And some people on Twitter called me out for that because they're like, New England is just a good team. They're not even dark horse. They're just like a regular horse. And I was like, oh, yeah, now that you mentioned that, kind of true, kind of true. So I'll, I'll still take credit for it because I, I need that uh, ego boost after I picked Atlanta United to get the supporter shield. But let's uh, let's move on to our disappointing teams and blow off some steam by like clowning on some bad teams. Uh, Jack, walk us through some of the teams that you have very, very been disappointed with this season. Ooh, there's quite a few that I could go through. Um, I'm going to start off with a team that I really ripped on in the, in the like first preview. And that, and that was Cincinnati Uh because, you know, they made a huge splash in the transfer market. What was it? They spent like $30 million in the transfer market when all, all was said and done. They spent a lot of cash. And so a lot of people were expecting some big things and they haven't really delivered on that. And that was kind of epitomized in the most recent loss, which was a five, four loss to Montreal. Terrible, terrible. As, As I said, in the preview of the East, they fixed a lot of their offensive issues, but didn't fix any of the defensive ones. And that's exactly what we saw happen Mm -hmm. against Montreal. So that's one that I've been disappointed with, which, might be a little unfair because they yeah. are in 11th. Well, do you want to know one thing about FC Cincinnati? Sure. Yeah. A, uh, this, this past loss, they gave up two separate two goal leads to lose five. Yeah, four. That, that is true. But I also have to note that they spent you know a, a good amount of cash, I think, to get Jeff Cameron, a former U.S. men's national team right. uh, center back. And he is a, a you know, pretty conservative person politically. And the reason why he wasn't able to go to Montreal and part of the reason why they lost so badly is because he refused to get vaccinated. And so he, you know, he was barred from entry to get in Canada and that's why they lost five, four. So from the ground up, just FC Cincinnati is not, not looking great right now. If I'm being honest. Uh, And then honestly, like, I don't think if I was, if I was going to pick other disappointing teams, 
the East or the Western Conference is kind of immune to me because they're they're like Dallas is a little disappointing, but yeah. it, it, they haven't been terrible. The East is mm-hmm. full of a lot of really <laughs> disappointing teams, like the bottom two in the table, Toronto and Inter Miami. Both of them have been really poor this season. Toronto, sure, like you can you can say they weren't playing at home or whatever, like yeah, for yeah. Mo- for the beginning of the season, and like. You know, they were missing Josie Altidore. They had, but they, I think the big thing was Chris Armas, as we oh, saw, yeah. like pretty recently, uh, as, as they drew 1 1 with Orlando, which is a pretty good result. And, you know, they're starting to turn it around. A 3 2 win over New England after a 7 1 loss to DC yeah. United. Like the, the team was very disappointing at the beginning of this because, like, Chris Armas clearly was not the right fit for this club. And, you know, they also had, I believe, a lot of injury concerns at the beginning of the season. A lot, yes, a lot. So they, so they had a bit of a slow start. We're seeing kind of, kind of them get the gears turning again, which is all good. But, you know, I, I have to mention them as a disappointment just mm-hmm. for that. Uh, just for that. And you know what? I have a feeling you're, you want to talk about Inter-Miami because I know you love slating Inter-Miami. Yeah. <laughs> Inter-Miami. I, I, what do I have to say other than, like, all their old defenders couldn't help them. They had they brought in so many defenders. They had they got Kieran Gibbs now. I think is, is that who they brought in? Right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Like like so many old players, and obviously that can't help them. We can also talk off the field stuff. The fact that they got caught for the Blaze Matweedy things. They got canned yeah. for that. Uh, they f- found out that they got an other DP on them, so so now they had they had five DPs last year. So n- now they got screwed with like a two million TAM uh fine or whatever. Like that is everything about Inter Miami is just bad. They're stuck with these long bad contracts with these old players. Gonzalo Higui thought that he could, you know, come in, smoke a cigarette, and dominate the league. Obviously, that didn't work out. And yeah, now they're they're bottom of the league. Not a lot of, of good things to say about them on and off the field. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. But I, I also want to highlight the other Southern team that has been doing pretty badly, also in the East, because there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the East. And that's Atlanta United. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be talking about Atlanta United some more in this Thursday deep this Thursday's deep dive. But you know, very, very recently, we've had a lot of news come out of Atlanta United. Obviously, their head coach, Gabriel Heinze, is out. He got fired after losing to New England Revolution 1-0. to And, you know, going two months without a single win, that's obviously going to get you fired, probably <laughs> yeah, no matter was, where you are. I, I was going to say, it's probably not the 1-0 win to the top <laughs> yeah. of the East that yeah, got that, it fired. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the straw that broke the camel's back, but there were already a lot of straws on that back. I mean, one of the, the facts is that he completely alienated their star striker, Joseph Martinez, forced him to train away from everybody else reportedly he overworked the locker room and people were just miserable and that overworking led to a lot of players getting injured and so they, i mean their injury list is longer than a cvs receipt like it is it is not not great for them i said that they would win the supporter shield <laughs> that definitely not happening i i have a feeling that it's definitely possible for them to bring it back and potentially make it to the playoffs but as it stands right now they're 
very, very disappointing. Uh, for my disappointing teams that I predicted, I said Toronto, very good. Columbus, who, you know, they're still in the playoff race, but compared to last year, obviously they're not doing as well as people thought they would. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. And San Jose, and of course, San Jose are doing badly. So whatever, whatever. I also said Seattle. And that's uh that's not going well. They're they're kind of doing they're kind of doing better than I thought they would. So uh, I'll I'll leave my words there. I, I said they they'd have depth problems, which is very true. They they did have depth problems when they lost to Minnesota United this past weekend. But for the past thirteen games before that, those depth issues were just not there, and they went thirteen games undefeated. Uh, broke the 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 longest unbeaten streak for an MLS start of the season. So yeah, that's pretty I, good. I'm pretty sure I predicted the Sounders to be a disappointing oh, no. team too. I think we were suffering from some, uh, from what I, you know, the experts called salt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that, I think that's what we were suffering from a little bit there. Uh, but you know, Minnesota are now the only team this te- season to both lose to and beat the Seattle Sounders. So we've yes. got that going for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a, that's a great stat to have. I, I think yeah. I'd prefer not to lose to them at all, but well, no. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. Do, do you remember any of your other uh, disappointed teams that you predicted or uh, should we move on to some MVP candidates? I mean, I remember I had Houston as a pretty disappointing team. I, I actually predicted them to, uh, to right. win yeah. the wooden spoon, which is not a good prediction right now. Eh, could still happen. Yeah, it, It's not out of the realm of possibility, but yeah. you know, they've been overall decent enough. They've gotten a lot of draws recently. And, but you know what, overall, I don't think that they're doing as bad as either of us really thought they would be, because I think I, I recall us both having them pretty low. Yes. Uh, just for everyone's uh, information, Inter-Miami are currently in that wooden spoon spot. They've lost the last how many games, and they're currently sitting on eight points in 11 games. So not great from them, not great from them, but Let's move on to some MVP candidates very quickly. Talk about golden boot and golden ball, our different predictions and what that's looking like right now in terms of MLS, what's actually happening. Uh, golden boot, obviously the, the player that scores the most at the end of the season. I said Carlos Vela of LAFC. Kind of a, a yikes moment there. He only has two goals. He, he scored uh, th- this past uh, week. So, you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but... Just two is not going to catch up to a crosstown rivals and Chicharito LA galaxy and Raul Rui Diaz of the Seattle Sounders, both at 10 goals, very good strikers. That is the battle to watch. And my golden ball, uh, which we defined as the most assists. I said, Reynoso, Emmanuel Reynoso, who has a grand total of zero assists, yeah. uh, at least according to the this, this websites that I was on. Leader right now is Carlos Heel, who has seven assists, player for uh, New England Revolution. Very, very good. Jack, I know you also had golden ball going to Reynoso. Uh, who was your golden boot again? I, I had Carlos Vela as well. Okay. Which I, I was debating between Carlos Vela and Joseph Martinez, and neither of them are yeah. doing all that fantastic this season. So, yeah. I mean, like, who could have really seen i mean i guess anyone could have seen chicharito doing well uh i'm I'm sure nobody really thought that he was going to replicate just two goals an entire season yeah 
Rui Diaz, I suppose like people also could have seen, but with Seattle's depth problems that people were, pre- were predicting us included, I don't know. I, I I'm going to, I'm going to give us the mulligan on that and say that right. we did. Okay. I mean, which of us would have predicted that Haney Mukhtar would be in joint second place <laughs> for the golden boot right now? Like with, with Daniel Saloy and Demir Krylak on the same amount of goals. Like Imagine. nobody, nobody would have predicted that. So I have to mention that Saloy and Krylak are doing cra- really good. Like, crazily good. Like Krylak, like for RSL, I, I, I've not heard any buzz from him or for him from the league or any of like, the, the the Twitter accounts that cover MLS, but he's been really good. Saloy has, for my money, been one of the most improved players in the past couple of years. So good for them. I think that they could be potentially MVP candidates, question mark, maybe. Jack, who was your <laughs> MVP candidate pick uh, from the beginning of the season? And how is that going? Because my pick isn't too bad. I want to hear yours. Well, uh, it was Reynoso as well, Ooh. which, you know, it's, it could be going a lot better. Was it one goal and zero assists? Is that what he's at? Yeah, but he's been, he's been doing pretty well. Like uh, he's won possession in the final third, the second most times in the league. He's got the second most dribbles per match, you know, and he, and he's creating some key passes. He has the That's true. third That's most true. key passes per match. And I think even in chances created, no, he's not doing that well there. But you know what? He's doing okay. But I thought like, you know, at the back end of last season, everything he was doing, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, well, obviously he's going to be like an MVP candidate. But then he just went quiet and he just hasn't been the same next. I thought, you know, the additions of Abila, Fragapane, that would kind of augment his, uh, his skill set. but. No, I think he just really vibed with Kevin Molino or something. Yeah, that really that's did, what really it was. Did. I think that's what it was. And uh he, he just hasn't been the same this season. He's gotten he got to be fair, his goal that he did get was a beautiful free kick goal. Yeah. And he almost replicated it and got a second one today. Uh, but you know, no, it's not going well overall. Yeah. Such is life, such is life. Uh, I feel like in order to be an MVP candidate unfortunately you kind of just gotta be on the score sheet so whatever yeah i i personally said zella rayon which isn't too bad of a shout now five goals and one assist i think columbus crew now that they're back in or not back they're they're finally in their new stadium he could probably get some nice uh crowd backed goals and assists so maybe maybe however maybe. my yeah. my pick right now and i want to hear your pick too is carlos heel who's on two goals and seven assists and is a major contributor to this new England revolution. He's at, he's at part of every new England revolution attack. And he's the reason why they're first right now, Jack, like who right now is your MVP candidate? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know who else I would pick. Honestly, he, I got he's some been, more candidates, but yeah, I mean, go ahead. yeah, he's, he's been pretty fantastic. Uh, I mean, you know, he has been the new England revolution. It feels like, for mm-hmm. for part of the season you know he he's just kind of been on fire he makes stuff happen he's what he's what like minnesota united fans wanted to see right now so <laughs> yeah that that's that's what it is and i guess like if i was to choose another mvp candidate you know like i could probably go with like nani 
he he would be mm-hmm. a decent pick because seven goals and three assists in just 870 minutes. Right. Pretty that's, good. that's pretty impressive stuff. And, you know, I, I could even go for, for someone like, you know, Chicharito or Raul Rui Diaz, but yeah, of course, you know, overall, I, I think, I, I, I think Carlos Hill deserves it at this point in time. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we also asked Twitter uh, on our Twitter page at final third show who everyone thought the MVP candidate was. We put out a poll with uh, Rui Diaz, Chicharito, Nani, and Keel. And overwhelmingly, Twitter picked Heel as their MVP. 62.5% of the vote went to Heel. People were just really vibing with what he's done with New England Revolution. And honestly, I, I, I agree with our, our followers. I agree with our listeners. Heel is very good. And I think as long as he stays on fire, so too will the New England Revolution. That is our MVP talk for MLS, oh, and that is well, our talk. We about, we did miss one actually. Oh, really? Golden what? Glove predictions. Ooh, Golden Glove. That's actually very yeah. true. Thank you, Jack. Who? Ooh, I, I don't even know who my Golden Glove uh, prediction was. I remember who mine was, and it's not going too bad uh, because I actually predicted Joe Willis from Nashville right. SC, and he he's in second right now. Behind Andre Blake, uh, he has five clean sheets. And, you know, he maybe he hasn't been the most spectacular mm-hmm. goalkeeper. He, he's definitely not the most glamorous. He's not one that gets the most praise. You know, Matt Turner gets a lot of praise. Uh, Sean Johnson gets a lot. You know, there, but Joe Willis has been pretty good for Nashville. And I, I think he's been, you know, one of the better play better goalkeepers in the league even if not as many people are hyping him up and i think that's unfair i think he deserves a little bit of hype for everything he's doing like you know some highlights keeping clean sheets against philadelphia was a really big one against new england as well like that that was really fantastic i and yeah i i've just got to say he he deserves a little bit more praise than he's gotten yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I love what Nashville's doing. I just remembered my pick. I think it was Matt Turner. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's been doing okay. Uh, I, I think I'm forgetting if Golden Glove, like the actual official award is given just based on... Most clean... Sh- or it might be just best goalkeeper because I f- seem to remember Andre Blake winning it last season. Yes, even though Joe I, I, I think had so. Clean sheets. so. So I definitely think that Andre Blake, Matt Turner, Willis, they're all in the conversation. Tyler uh, Miller should be in there, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. He he has five clean sheets in nine matches. That's pretty good. Probably, I'll, I'll put in a Kenneth Vermeer as well. No, I'm just oh kidding. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> FC Cincinnati. They the only award they should get is best stadium. Other than that, anything on the field? Absolutely not. Absolutely Ken- not. Kenneth Vermeer should probably get um the. Well, what would it be like? Just like. Uh, last, uh, last, last glove. I don't know the yeah. worn down glove award. Yeah, I don't wooden know. glove, wooden the glove. Wooden glove. <laughs> It'd probably be better for goalkeeping. Let's maybe. Yeah, I feel like gold is really malleable, and wood <laughs> can actually, you know, keep out yeah. balls. All right. Well, uh, enough talk about uh, <laughs> uh, material science or whatever. Let's get yeah. <laughs> into the second segment of our newsroom and get right along. It's gonna be a longer episode, but guess what? Jack and I haven't talked to each other in like a week and a half let's just have it happen yeah all right so the second one is uh transfer hot or not if you guys remember i kind of previewed this game last week basically we're gonna look at uh 12 transfers here 12 transfers and i'm gonna ask jack is this transfer hot or not hot 
is this transfer good for the player and the team they're going to, or is it bad for them? Uh, Jack, are you ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, let's start off with uh, an Arsenal player, Granite Xhaka, going to AS Roma. The fee is 15 million euros plus 2.5 in, quote, easy bonuses. He was an integral part of a middling Arsenal team uh, the past couple of years. However, he hasn't been the best. You know, he's been known for being pretty rash, getting red cards and making errors leading to goals. Jack, is this transfer hot or not? I'm going to say not overall for okay. this one. And the reason why is Granite Xhaka is getting up there in age. He's still good, but Roma have really good midfielders already. Uh, I'm thinking like uh, Veritaut, for example, is in that position that Xhaka is, play, is playing in. And like, you know, Roma, I'm not sure if Xhaka is the right player to fit with Mourinho's style of play. And I also think Arsenal are going to make a big mistake by letting him go. Because mm-hmm. he he like you said he's been integral to them, and I I think I I think they're going to regret losing him if they end up selling him off because he he well yes he has some really dumb errors in him yes he scored one of the most ridiculous own goals of the season against Burnley <laughs> but he's still very good for them and has done good things for them so I I'm gonna say it's not. I'm going to say not to, but I think that Arsenal are going to be very happy to see the the back of his head leaving. I think Arsenal fans are are Arsenal fans for sure. Yes, Uh, we could talk to Reed. I'm sure he's going to enjoy getting a cool 15 million out of him. Uh, This next player, also from a London club, Jack's already groaning. It's Olivier Giroud to AC Milan from Chelsea. For I don't even know how much it was. It, it wasn't it was a lot. One million. Ugh. It was one million. He, he he is up there in age. It's the fancy. The fancy Frenchman needs no introduction. He scored seventeen league goals during his time with Chelsea in the past four seasons. A Champions League and World Cup winner. Even if he wasn't starting, he was always coming off the bench as a super sub and just bagging them in. He's almost thirty-five. Joining a team with Ibrahimovic as the other striker, AC Milan. This is an official transfer, Jack. Is this transfer hot or not? If, if I, I'm, <laughs> going to, I'm going to try and stay unbiased in this. Okay, okay. And I think it's really hot for AC Milan, but really not for Chelsea. Okay. And the reason why it's really good for Milan is because, you know, having a strike force that consists in two of probably the most reliable goal scorers you could get, Slatan Ibrahimovic and Olivier Giroud. Yes, they're older, but they're reliable. And I come up with goals. And because of that, I, I think it's really good for them. And for 1 million, like he, he, like he scores fantastic goals. If you start him, odds are you get a goal out of him or something at least, or at least a few chances created even like he, he is really good. He was our top scorer in the Europa league when we won mm-hmm. it and our top scorer in the champions league when he won it. And that's why I think this isn't a good move for Chelsea because it looks like Tammy Abraham's on his way out. So are we really going to stick around a whole season with Timo Werner as our only striker? Like Yikes. say say what you want about Olivier Giroud that he's slow or whatever or that he that he's that he's too old that he that like you know he only scores like he he's not reliable enough. He he was good enough for for Chelsea and he was as a lot of uh, Chelsea accounts describe him a cult hero really for the club. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we would not have two more European trophies in our cabinet if it wasn't for him, I believe. And 
you know, I, I think that that can't be overlooked. And for one million as well, only that that just feels, you know, we live in a world where Gonzalo Higuain goes for about 17 million. Like that, that's his that's his transfer market value. And you're telling me Olivier Giroud, a Champions League winner who scored six goals, including four in a game against Sevilla, is worth one million. I'm not buying that. All right. Well, to be fair, I think his transfer market uh, valuation is only like what four million, two million, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, still, like, I feel like I feel okay. like if you win right. the Champions League with that, you you've got to be worth a little bit more than a million pounds. All right. All right. Okay. Well, I'm also gonna say hot. Maybe not for Chelsea, but I, I feel like, you know, AC Milan has a young technical squad. He's going to do well. Uh, next transfer, or I should say transfers, because it's a two-in-one. Atraf Hakimi and Sergio Ramos to PSG, also official. Hakimi played just one season with Inter, but was one of the best right backs in Europe, winning Serie A as well. He's moving for a reported 65 million euros. Ramos, the Real Madrid legend, left with so many Champions League and La Liga titles to his name. He's going to PSG for potentially one last hurrah. So, Jack, is this hot or not? Uh, fiery hot for PSG. Okay. Uh, terrible for both. Or actually, no, really good for Inter, actually, I'd also say. But really bad for Real Madrid on the Ramos one. First with Hakimi, I mean, PSG, they, they needed a right back. Their right back spot isn't really filled out very well. Florenzi's going back to Roma after his loan. They needed that right back spot filled out. So I think this is a really good move there. And, you know, he, he costs 70 million, but I think he's worth that amount. So I, I think that's good. It's also good for Inter because they needed that money in order to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. And they probably got a little bit over his market value for that too. And, they pro- and they, I think they made around 35 million on that transfer overall. So that's really good. The Ramos one, obviously great for, for PSG. Uh, although I want to talk a little bit about the kind of hypocrisy. They released Tiago Silva for being too old. Right, yeah. And then signed Ramos, who is older than Tiago Silva was. Whatever. But, you know, I, I, we, Chelsea got Tiago Silva, so I'm happy about that. But for Real Madrid, this is terrible because I, I'm not sure how much Real Madrid you watch, but I watched a lot of them in the Champions League. And they are not good without him in the back line. They are very weak because they miss his leadership. I don't know who steps up in that role, really. Because Varane, he's, he's a good center back. But he is, and, he might, and also, he might be on his way out yeah. as well. But he's not, he's not leadership quality. He doesn't have the same leadership qualities. So I think that Madrid are probably going to regret that one. All right. I say hot too. And I think if there's going to be one center back to step up in Ramos's place with Real Madrid, it's Alaba who can play center back. That's right. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. One. yeah. I, I think he has some leadership, you know, obviously captain of Austria. So we'll see how it goes for them. This we're, let's stay with Madrid with this conversation. We're talking about Rodrigo de Paul to Atletico Madrid. Also official Rodrigo de Paul, the Copa America winner joins Atletico Madrid from Udinese where he was one of the best midfielders in Syria. I'm talking 70 goal contributions in five seasons. He went for a reported 35 million euros. Jack, hot or not? Hot, for sure. This is great. Uh, Atletico Madrid, getting him for 35 million, that's a steal. Especially mm-hmm. after you looked at him after his Copa America. What, what, a, what a steal. I, th- I think he fits Simeone's style perfectly. 
you know, a, a kind of a physical player who who's able to just make stuff happen, who like plays those lawn balls for the strikers and, and uh, you know, his pacey winners, Carrasco, uh, to run on to. Perfect. Like the, and, you know, even Udinese, this is great because they got a ton of money for a small-ish team in Italy. That, that amount of money, $35 million, is kind of what you need to rebuild a squad that was struggling a little bit last season in Serie A. So, I, yeah, this is fantastic. All right. All right. Moving right along. Uh, Kamavinga to Manchester United. This is a rumor. He's reportedly moving uh, from Rennes to Manchester United for 30 million euros. He's a central midfielder, only 18. And yet in the top 15% of top midfielders in terms of pass completion percentage, progressive carries, dribbles completed, and tackles per 90, he is elite and just 18. Is he the next midfield partner for Pogba? No more McTominay or Fred? Who knows? Who knows? Jack Kemavinga to Manchester United. Is this hot or not? I'm going to be a little controversial here and say not for, for a few reasons. First of all, he's a central midfielder. He is not a central defensive midfielder, which is what I think United need because mm-hmm. Fred and McTominay, that the McFred pivot, as I've seen United fans call it, doesn't work. And if you're going to play Pogba, he advances too far up the field. And so then you've got no cover for your, let's be honest, pretty mediocre center back pairing. And <laughs> that, that's, you know, it's not going to work out. They, they've got to strengthen the CDM position, like a, a defensive-minded midfielder, not, not one that's more creative and makes stuff happen like up top. And also, United's record with youth talent, not exactly the best. All right. You know, All right. They, okay. <laughs> like, if you're looking at some of, some of the players they, they've gotten, and, you know, yes, they've had some successes, like Rashford, for example, but, you know, you also have plenty of other ones or a lot of players who they waste talent with Lukaku, for example, you know, that, that when they sold him off and then he became one of the most mm-hmm. incredible strikers in Europe. They, I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like this is yeah. not the right move for him. I think Ren is a great place for him to develop and they've got a decent Academy. They've got a decent team. I think he should stay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's rich that the Chelsea fans going to talk about wasting youth talent. Well, yeah, I know. May I, know I remind <laughs> you who came out of Chelsea's academy? <laughs> but I, I, I personally said hot just because, you know, only 30 million and you get an 18 year old of his skill set in this market. I think that's a steal, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. And like, I, I'm, I'm also worried he becomes the next uh, Donnie Vanderbeek, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Van de Beek has his own issues to worry about right yeah. now. Oh, poor guy, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> Number six, Rui Patricio to Roma. This is also official. The 33-year-old goalkeeper from Wolves makes a move to Roma for 12 million euros. He cl- kept 10 clean sheets last year and was instrumental in keeping Wolves competitive as they entered the Premier League for those first two seasons. Jack, a goalkeeper transfer this time, hot or not? I'm going to say not for this one. Me too, and I know, yeah. I, I know they transferred Paul Lopez to Marseille on a loan, but like you replaced a 34 year old goalkeeper with a 33 year old goalkeeper mm-hmm. for 12 million. Yeah. And like he, yes, he's an international, like an experienced international who plays for Portugal and plays pretty well for them. But like, why not invest in a younger or like, like a goalkeeper that actually has staying power that you can see staying beyond like two or three seasons, really. Because that, that's what I, that's the kind of 
thing that I get with this transfer, this feels like a short-term solution. Mm-hmm. You can definitely do like better with like younger goalkeepers. You can develop and create like into a, a fantastic talent. But you know, if you're going to get experience anywhere, I guess it's goalkeeper. So I I guess it's okay, but it's just it's just not the greatest transfer, really. All right, all right. I also said not hot. Twelve million is a lot for a, a not great goalkeeper. If I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> Next is Messi to Barcelona. Uh, this is also a rumor. I mean, he's a Barcelona player, but he's also unemployed right now. He's a free agent. So, you know, Messi to Barcelona. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, it's reported that Messi's going to stay with Barcelona for five years at just 50% of his previous salary, noting that Barcelona's uh, current financial situation is kind of in disarray, kind of a, a nice guy move, I suppose, by him. Jack, hot or not hot? Hot, obviously. It's it's messy. <laughs> it's messy that you're talking about. He, If you're getting, I, I, in my opinion, the best soccer player, it like possibly of all time, if you're getting him to sign for another five years, committing to the club that he's been with since 2004, and willing to take a 50% pay cut just so the club stays afloat, you, you're, you're not only getting a fantastic player, you're getting a great person to represent your club. Mm-hmm. And someone who you know loves your club. And that that that's I mean, it's perfect really. It, it works for all parties. Messi clearly wanted to stay at Barcelona. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't be willing to accept this. And it helps Barcelona because they get all this debt real that like they can kind of fix their financial structure and they might be able to keep a lot more players that they otherwise would have had to sell. Yeah. All right. Messi to Barcelona. It, it is worth noting that they're still going to offload a lot of different players. Right, right. But like, not as much as they needed to, potentially. But. Yes, yes. Like Griezmann to Atletico slash Saul to Barcelona in a swap rumor, Griezmann, who came to Barcelona on a 100 million uh, euro fee, is returning to Atletico Madrid after just two years, scored 21 goals for Barcelona over two seasons. Saul is a 26-year-old central midfielder who is on his way to Barcelona, Played pretty well for Atletico, getting 13 gold contributions in the past three seasons. Jack, is this hot or not? The swap, is it hot or not? Uh, I, I, I'd, say, I'd say it's probably hot. I mean, it's like a moderate heat, you know? It's not... Okay. It's it, simmering, it's simmering. <laughs> it's simmering, okay. yeah. Uh, I mean, Saul to Barcelona, that part of the swap deal is fantastic. Okay. Really good, really solid midfielder. Barcelona need that with PK getting really up there in age, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I, I think that's a really good one. Uh, but Griezmann to Atletico, I mean, it's kind of a strange transfer because he moved away from there two years ago. And, you know, I, I feel like he was kind of getting his form at towards the end of the season at Barcelona. Like, he wasn't doing terribly. He was scoring in quite a lot of goals. And, you know, I, I also don't think Atletico Madrid need, like, a striker right now because they've got Luis Suarez, they've got Joao Felix on his way up. I, I'm just not sure if it's exactly what they need, but and especially losing Saul, who's been fantastic really for them. I I don't know about this one. It's it it's it's good for one side. It's very clearly favoring one side of the deal, uh, it, at least in my eyes. But you know, Atleti fans, I know Griezmann's kind of a cult hero. He is, I mean, a hero for the club, not even a cult hero, like just a hero for everything yeah. he did for them. So. Maybe they disagree with me on that. I mean, I, I think I think 
getting a hundred million for effectively a two-year loan is pretty good. But but in in a vacuum, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I, I say not hot for Barcelona and hot for Atletico, just based on the fact that they get Griezmann back for that. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay. Debatable okay. on both sides, I think. Uh, you mentioned before Manchester United's lack of center back talent. Maybe they fix this with uh, Varane to Manchester United center back from Real Madrid, potentially on his way to Old Trafford for upwards of fifty million euros. He was undoubtedly the second best center back that Real Madrid had, which is still pretty impressive. He's 28 and boasted some of the best passing abilities in La Liga. Can we possibly see Maguire and Varane as Manchester United's uh, pairing? Jack, would that be hot or not? It's a, it's a, it's a really hot transfer, to be honest. It's really good. Uh, Varane for 50 million is a very solid thing, especially when what you need at Manchester United is a good center back that can partner Maguire, you know, because Lindelof isn't it. Um, yeah. He, like he really isn't it. You can, you can see it. And, you know, Veron, he's kind of in his prime right now. I, I think like this, this would be really good for 50 million bad for Real Madrid. If they're going to do this, because what, what are, they're going to have an Alba and Eder Militao pairing at center back. Heck yeah. I, I mean, one side of that is pretty good. The other side, I'm not so sure about. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if like what Real Madrid are doing. I guess since the Super League failed, they needed to do something. <laughs> and it was just sell all of their best players. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really, really good for Manchester United, which is why I say it's a hot transfer. All right. All right. Let's talk about... Uh... Another transfer, also for $50 million. This is Ben White to Arsenal. This is just a rumor. The Brighton center back could be on his way to Arsenal for a reported $50 million, not even euros, pounds, which I think is more valuable than euros. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Okay. cool. So even more than €50 million euros than for Ron. Wow, it's crazy. He, he played 36 games last season and was the, in the top 40% of top defenders in terms of progressive passes and dribbles per 90. Jack, Ben White to Arsenal. Is that hot or not hot? Uh, this is ice cold. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. gonna, <laughs> I, I mean, that's a bit harsh, but still, it, it, I don't understand what Arsenal are doing. Like, you had a really good center back coming back from loan in Saliba, who was playing really well in League On. And then you're like, nah, let, let's go. Let's pay 50 million for Ben White instead, who, it, let's be honest, he, he played well. He played okay for Brighton. But it's still Brighton at the end of the day. And yeah. he really, I just don't think this is the best possible thing, especially for 50 million. There's so many yeah. better center backs you yeah. could be getting. For Ron, literally. Yeah, right. Like you can be <laughs> well, He's not going to come to Arsenal, but yeah. Right. But like, you know, there's better ways to spend that 50 million. So I, I just think this is a really, really not transfer, honestly. All right. All right. I obviously also said that. He's good, but not 50 million good. And that's why he's not hot. Uh, we added these last two transfers uh, after the fact. So I'm not so familiar with this next one. Mark Gui. That's not how you pronounce it. It's a Crystal Guayhi. Palace. Guayhi. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, so, I'll let you take the lead on this, Jack. Yeah. So Mark Guayhi is a young center back from Chelsea who was on loan at Swansea last season. He was one of their best players. Steve Cooper really trusted him at that center back role and he performed really well getting them to a playoff final uh, or a promotion final 
ultimately lost, but still very good player. However, Chelsea, a lot of Chelsea fans thought he'd get a chance, but he actually was uh, sold to Crystal Palace for 20 million pounds on a five-year deal. So AJ, what do you think? Hot or not for this one? I think, I, I don't think he would be in your guys' plans. So I'm going to say hot because that's a, a nice, cool pile of cash, I think. And I don't know. I, I, I think in, in the grand scheme of things, it's going to help more than it hurts. What do you think? I, I'm not too happy about it personally because okay. I, I, I think he's a great talent. And I know a lot of Chelsea fans are not as well after selling off Tamori to AC Milan mm-hmm. and now selling off another young center back and like Thiago Silva is great, but he's not getting any younger. True. Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, both great as well. Also not getting any younger. Uh, I mean, Christensen is younger, but Rudiger might be on his way out of the club next year. I feel like we're selling off a lot of great talents that could help us a lot in the future. So not too sure about it. All right, cool. Well, Let's go on to this last transfer, and I'll take the reins on this one. This is Tesman right. and Busio to Venezia, recently promoted side in Serie A. Tesman went for a couple million dollars from FC Dallas. Very, very good uh, central midfielder. Busio, who we have featuring in the Gold Cup right now, he is you know, a, a pretty decent midfielder as well, central midfielder. He went for, I think, uh, Taylor Twoman actually reported for like, 10 million yeah, plus add-ons that. uh so very very expensive uh going to that newly promoted team uh jack is this in your mind hot or not hot i think i think uh, it's tough because it's another one of those where it's it's interesting it's really good for one side but i i'm, I'm not so sure on the other side for the mls clubs that are selling them fantastic i mean yeah it's great it, money it, moolah let's go money and also just exposure to the league and like mm-hmm. all of that that's fantastic but uh on the other side venezia they, they just got promoted so i'm worried that these younger talents will get like really tired in like a relegation battle mm-hmm. and like i'm kind of worried about what that might do to their development because that's you know true. relegation battles take a toll on people mm-hmm. uh that you can see it like in player in, in players faces when they're in a relegation battle. It's just not great. And, you know, we, we had a lot of USMNT talent. Well, maybe not a lot, uh, but, uh, but of quite a few that got relegated and you could see it kind of affected their performances a little bit into the summer. You mm-hmm. can talk about like Anthony Robinson, who wasn't performing, I think at his best in the, in like the nation's league for us yeah, uh, in the summer. So, you know, Josh Sargent as well. Yeah, for right, sure. Like that, that I, I can't believe I almost forgot about him. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that you can see that those relegation battles, especially at such a young age, I'm just worried that it'll, it'll, it could hamper their confidence a little bit. And that's the last thing we want really for the, for up and coming stars. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't think that these guys are uh, Serie B levels. I think they're Serie A levels. And to, to see them potentially get relegated would be kind of tough. Also tough for Venezia, and which is why I'm going to say hot for Testament, Busio, and MLS. Also not hot for Venezia because, hey, I mean, if you're going to put your trust in two less than 20-year-olds, that's, uh, I don't know if that's a really smart business move considering right, that. Right. I, think, I think they're blowing their record, like, signing fee with Busio. Like, like th- th- that's crazy to me. Like, Busio's good. 
but that's a lot of trust for a newly promoted team to be putting in him. So I don't know. I'm kind of scared for him. I'm kind of scared for him. Uh, but yeah, those are the transfer hot or not. It's probably going to do this a little bit more throughout the, the transfer window as we go on this summer. Jack, why don't you talk about, you know, the lower league low down NPSL playoffs. And I'll talk a little bit about Jonathan Gomez going to Real Sociedad as well. Yeah. Well, this is going to be pretty quick. I'm just going to go through the, uh, you know, the NPSL North stuff, because that's what I, that's mm-hmm. what I know. That's what we both know. Cause that's where our hometown team, Minneapolis city is playing in. And what we, what we found out with the, with the games this weekend is that Minneapolis city had officially secured the top seed, which means Yay. they get a first round buy. They ended with a 2.75 points per game, uh, uh ratio ratio yeah i think that's 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 right uh but yeah it's also the highest points per game in the country and i should explain that the way npsl works is that the top uh the top team in each uh of the mini conferences i get in each of the conferences is sorted based off of their points per game and then you go from there with second places and all of that so minneapolis city with the highest points per game in the npsl Overall, ends up in first seed. We get the Milwaukee Torrent on 2.7 points per game in second seed. They also have a first round bye. And then Cleveland, who was in top seed at the beginning of this, blew it this past weekend and now are in third seed. Uh, Fourth seed is Pittsburgh. Fifth seed is Duluth FC, a side that Minneapolis City know pretty well. And Carpathia, which is in Detroit, is in sixth with a relatively underwhelming 1.89 points per game. So overall, what it looks like is on the top side of the bracket, or uh, just that that's how, how the bracket I'm looking at, uh, looking at it looks, Duluth and Carpathia are going to play against each other in that first round, and then the winner of that ends up playing Minneapolis City. We're bidding, uh, Minneapolis City are bidding against Cleveland to host the semifinals and finals. And I think if that happens, I think AJ and I will probably try and swing by to at least one of those games. Uh, yeah, if, for sure. If possible, uh, because that would be awesome to, to see our hometown hosting that. And then uh, on the other side of the bracket, we've got Cleveland and Pittsburgh playing it out to play against Milwaukee in the semifinals. And obviously whoever wins out of those ends up uh, going to the finals and then they'll be the Midwest region champion. And, you know, if you think MLS's playoff structure is bad, <laughs> NPSL's is very difficult as well. Because after the, re, uh, the conference playoffs and then the regional playoff, because that's what the final two games are called, then you have the national playoffs, which is there's four different regions. So you have a semifinals and finals. And uh, that will end off on August seventh i believe is the npsl finals Mm -hmm. but uh overall minneapolis city definitely got the better side of the bracket they either play the fifth or sixth seed carpathia yes they got into the playoffs but they're not doing that well 1.89 points per game not fantastic duluth fc definitely a good team but we also have beaten them pretty badly recently five to one so we know how we kind of have their number this season so i i think minneapolis city should, and I stress should, get to the Midwest Regional Final. Mm-hmm. And if not, I'm going to be pretty sad. I'd imagine the team is going to be really sad. And I also think it's it's going to be 
a really low, like given the expectations of the season and what Minneapolis city have achieved a 10, one in one record that that would be really disappointing to not make. I, I think, I think national semifinals and even competing for the finals, they, they should be able to this time, this time around. So, yeah. but that's how the playoff picture looks. Minneapolis city, I believe streams all of their games on their YouTube channel. So you should check it out. That's how I watched their games when I was in California. Uh, and I watched, uh, I also want to give a shout out to their UPSL team, Minneapolis city Two, which beat Iowa Raptors in the round of 16 of the UPSL playoffs in a penalty shootout when their, their Academy player, uh, I, I can't remember his name for some reason, which really makes me mad because he was really fantastic in the shootout. Uh, ben, ben Schleiman, that, that's his name. Mm-hmm. Academy goalkeeper got subbed on for the penalty shootout, came up huge and saved two penalties and won Minneapolis City the game on penalties. So fantastic for Minneapolis City too. And I hope to see them do just as well as I hope Minneapolis City do. Yeah, UPSL playoffs are also happening. USL League 2 playoffs are also happening as well. I was going to cover them a little bit, but they're kind of in an in-between zone. There's still some conference finals that need to be uh, decided. So I think next week I'm going to be taking the reins, talking about USL League 2, because that's another fourth division uh, league that is pretty interesting. I also want to quickly mention... On the USL championship side, Division right. 2, Jonathan Gomez is moving on to Real Sociedad. That's uh, a rumor. Jonathan Gomez is a 17-year-old left back who plays for Louisville City in the USL championship. He's played for both the U.S. men's national team and El Tree at the youth level. And he's part of the USA's Gold Cup provisional roster. And he's been rumored to be joining Real Sociedad of La Liga next season. Yes, he is that good. But more importantly, I think it tells us that independent USL clubs can sell players and I think it's important to note that the reason why he didn't play in MLS and he, I think he was contracted to FC Dallas potentially with their, their youth Academy is because he didn't want to sign a long-term homegrown deal. He wanted to control his own destiny. And that's the role I think independent USL clubs will be able to operate in, in the future clubs like Louisville, Oakland, Birmingham, El Paso, Phoenix can work on getting young players that are overlooked by MLS clubs or players that want to play first team minutes at a lower level instead of just being a bench warmers for an MLS side. I think that's their target audience, really. USL teams tend to have a lot of older veterans. So if they can really strike this untapped market of American youth, it'll fundamentally change how U.S. youth output works here for the better. Additionally, I also want to mention that Louisville City released a statement last week saying that overall they're disappointed with the handling of Jonathan Gomez. Because, yes, he's getting great uh, attention from big European clubs, but apparently they're losing him for just $100,000, which is not great. They could have gotten at least a million out of this, potentially. So now Louisville said they're reevaluating their football operations, which goes to show you that how underdeveloped this USL to Europe pipeline is. But once teams like Louisville learn to take advantage of it, it's over, and youth development is just going to boom. That's all I got to say for that. So that is the lower league lowdown. And I recorded the U.S. Men's National Team Corner and the last week's predictions uh, beforehand. So let's cut to that. All right. I'm recording this right after the USA versus Canada game. USA has officially qualified for not just the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup, but also qualified first in our group, Group B, with nine points compared to Canada's six points. And yeah, this is the U.S. Men's National Team Corner where I talk about 
the USMNT and just some big, big stories going on with the men's national team. Obviously, just as I alluded to, we are in the midst of the Gold Cup, just concluded the group stage for uh, the U.S., and we have advanced. That's great. So I thought I'd go into the games and some, I think, overarching themes that we're seeing, some takeaways and some things that I would like to see going into the knockout stages. I know we have a lot of U.S. men's national team fans, so I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this. Let's start out with USA versus Haiti. First game against the shorthanded Haiti team due to uh, they had a lot of COVID cases, so they were pretty shorthanded. Uh, and our lineup featured, weirdly, Jackson Ewell, Jossie Zardes, and Jonathan Lewis. Three names that I wasn't really expecting to see really feature for this team in a, a big role such as starters. Now, I guess Zardes I get, but Lewis and Ewell did not play very well. They made the game a little bit too conservative and safe for my liking. Lewis was just bad, did not really add anything to the attack, felt like a lot of attacks actually ended uh, at his feet, so that's not a great look for him. But we did get to see some good performances out of Acosta and Legette, a great header goal from Sam Vines, who I am now a pretty big fan of, and a top-notch performance from both Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, and a breakout game from right back Shaq Moore. More on him later, it's not a pun. Not too many chances created, kind of a boring game outside of the goal. A lot of that came down to the personnel used. Again, the conservatism that came out of, I guess, Paul Ariola started the game, but he came off injured. Nicholas Giochini, Jossie Sardis, Jonathan Lewis, not the most powerful front three, I would say. Uh, not a lot of creativity going forward. As a singular data point, there's not much to really say about this game, not a lot of takeaways. So let's move on to the second game, which is USA versus Martinique. It was a blowout game that we all kind of expected. Berhalter trotted out a young, exciting lineup. Williamson, Busio, James Sands, George Bello, Daryl DK, and Matthew Hoppy. Daryl DK got a brace. Miles Robinson got a goal, as did Nicholas Giacchini and Giassi Zardes. And there was an own goal as well. That was very confusing how it ended up happening. But, you know, all's well that ends well, I suppose. The main takeaway I had from USA versus Martinique was the standout performances that we saw from both Matthew Hoppy, who played superbly. He set up DK for the first goal on a wonderful cross. Did not know he had that in him, so I'm very glad that we got to see that. I think he can play as a supporting center forward, I suppose, or a a, a winger that's tucked in. I, I think he has that in his arsenal now that I'm seeing it. Very creative player. Busio and Williamson have great energy. Even though, yes, it's against Martinique and neither of them were very good defensively or I won't say not very good, but they weren't really challenged as much. So the flaws in their defensive schemes weren't really exposed. But going forward, they had great energy and were able to capitalize on the space that was given by the Martinique defense. Very important uh, going forward, those two players. DK, of course, bullied the defenders. His stock definitely rose after this game. And James Sands, I think, was the man of the match here. He had very cool defense and distribution out of the back. It, very superb, just how calm he was under pressure. Was able to, I guess, like create stuff out of the back, which is not something that we really get to see. A really good piece for center back depth. And also, I think he is in the contention for our backup number six behind Tyler Adams, just based on his defensive work in this game. It really allowed Walker Zimmerman to play some great balls forward. I think it really unlocked that. Berhalter used the three 
uh, 4-2-1 formation, I would say, with Hoppy and who else was it? I'm blanking out on who else was the... Oh, Christian Roldan, yeah. They, they were the, the two right behind DK. They kind of tucked in, so they weren't actually wingers. They were kind of attacking midfielders there. Bello and Moore were the ringbacks. They got far up and really overloaded Martinique with attacking options coming at them from all directions. Only downside was Acosta conceding a penalty, but he was played out of position at right wing back, so it's hard to really blame him. And then, of course, the thing that we you're probably listening to this podcast to hear USA versus Canada lineup is what I personally wanted to see. If you follow us on at final third show on Twitter, you'll know that aside from Zardes instead of Hoppy, this was pretty much the lineup that I wanted to see. We saw Lejet and Acosta come back Zardes for Hoppy, which, like I said, was not what I wanted to see, but whatever we scored right away with a legit cross to Shaq Moore that was only 30, 20 seconds in the fastest U.S. men's national team goal of all time great I mean great for Shaq Moore for getting his first goal really happy and we dominated for a while but after 15 minutes that stopped and it's no coincidence that Walker Zimmerman also just happened to come off injured after 15 minutes I don't know what other people are going to say but in my mind at least after we lost Walker Zimmerman who is our best center back this tournament we were on the back foot. We couldn't really create a lot of chances. Vines and Moore played very well defensively, but couldn't get the space to go forward. They were kind of pinned back by uh, the, the the Canadian attack. Miles Robinson was huge. He had what felt like a million clearances today. James Sands was also cool under pressure and had very deliberate distribution. But the sub that we brought on for Zimmerman, Donovan Pines, was not very good in this game at all. He let a lot through him, almost gave up a few penalties at least, and was not cool under pressure at all, which is what you need from a like-for-like like replacement for Walker Zimmerman. Busio and Acosta were also non-existent and didn't really add anything to the attack. Daryl DK couldn't make a lot of coherent plays, so it's clear that while Daryl DK is very good, there is still a lot of work to do on his technical touch and his ability to dribble and control the ball a lot of work there bringing on cannon hoppy in the second half was a great move in my opinion cannon really settled things down defensively and hoppy gave us a, a momentary spark overall it was a disconnected game that i think could be attributed to a losing zimmerman and his distribution and defensive presence and b is an organization that came from inexperienced players Legit and Acosta obviously could have played better, but the main sticking points for me were Pines, Busio, and DK. And the over-reliance on, I think, that midfield and trying to get them to create everything allowed them to get overrun, you know, defensively. Because, like, when you think about it, Acosta probably should have been played more as a defensive midfielder, and Busio had that uh, freedom to go forward. But that was the opposite. And so when you're relying on Acosta and Legette to be kind of the facilities, the creators, you're not going to get a lot of great, uh, great movement out of those two. And that kind of put the midfield in a bad spot. The big takeaways going forward into the knockout rounds, because we could talk about those games all we want. But let's talk about the big picture here. We get two additional days of rest before playing either Jamaica or Costa Rica. That's great. We obviously won the group, so we are going to play the runners-up of, what is that, Group C, Group D? I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be Jamaica or Costa Rica. In my mind, the three in the back system works. The 3-4-2-1 or the 3-4-3 or the 3-5-2, whatever you want to look at it as. 
Against weak sides like Martinique, it allows us to use wing backs as our primary source of width and tuck our wingers in more as attacking midfielders that we saw with Roldan and Hoppy. It's like we're playing with two central attacking midfielders. And against Canada, it was good until we lost Zimmerman, which proves that Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman are very good center backs. They haven't really put a foot wrong, like that's totally noticeable. And I'm very confident in our center back depth, seeing as they're great options, yet still at best are our fifth and sixth best choice center backs. Very, very good. Uh, the three in the back system needs a good base to be successful. If we don't have a strong center back presence, it puts too much pressure on our midfield and wing backs to play defensively, as we saw when Pines entered the game. Too much pressure got put on Busio, especially to defend. Uh, it, it pinned back more and Vines, and it, it created such a mess defensively that it, it allowed Canada to do whatever they wanted just because we didn't have some strong defensive presences like Walker Zimmerman in the game. James Sands, Eric Williamson, Gianluca Busio, Shaq Moore, and DK all had their stocks rise, I think, in this group stage. I think they're all in contention to be depth pieces for their respective spots, but they all have deficiencies that can still be improved, like I mentioned with Daryl DK, uh, Eric Williamson, and Gianluca Busio as well. Berhalter had some confusing tactics that I just need to mention. Busio is played as a deep defensive midfielder and an attacking midfielder, which is too much for him to handle. So in possession, he was up, he's trying to create attacks, but when out of possession, when we we're on the, 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 the behind the ball, I suppose, Busio was pinned back and he was playing very deep and he just, he, he can't do that. He's not really well known for winning duels and all of that stuff. So that was really confusing to put that much responsibility on him. There's an over-reliance on Legette and Acosta create chances, which is not their strong suit. They're more facilitators, like I mentioned. And obviously, Berhalter subs can be confusing. Waiting to bring on anybody, even after the midfields getting overrun in the Canadian game, was not very smart. So there's a lot to improve there. If the intention is to win at all costs, if he was waiting on the subs just to see like how the stars would deal with things, I still think that's dumb, but I guess I could kind of understand that. Going forward, I think we do need some more cohesion. Uh, Hoppy plus DK plus Legette is my front three that I want to see. I think that would be a very good use of Hoppy as like the main creative uh, force in that attack and Legette as the facilitator, DK as the, the finisher. The two of William, uh, two of the following three, sorry, uh, Williamson, Busio, or Acosta. Williamson, I think, is required to be one of them, though. That might just be some recency bias, but I, I really like Williamson. And we need to pray that Zimmerman is okay if not play Cannon as a right center back, I think he has that defensive chops in him. I think that gives you the most balance. You get some high tempo effort from Legette and creativity from Hoppy and Williamson, as well as some solid ball distribution from Sands and with obviously from the fullbacks. We just need a defensive beast is what I'm like really trying to get at. Like Sands is our most like most like a, a defensive midfield that we have a Busio and Williamson rolled on. None of them are the defensive-minded mind, midfielders that we really need. But Sands and Acosta are like that, but they're not being played in that way right now. But I, I guess the one thing I want to mention before I leave you off on this pretty long U.S. men's national team corner is really this tournament is a test. Remember that we're just testing out our depth. A lot of these guys are not going to feature heavily for our World Cup qualifiers. So... Yeah, just treat it as a test and remember that you can pass the test, 
and get some questions wrong, get some answers wrong. Like, that's okay. We're, we're going to run through some issues here, and that's okay, because as long as we're bending and not breaking, this team is doing its job. We shouldn't look at these players just on, like, one single performance. I think that's stupid. Let's look at them as, like, the entirety of the group stage, looking at that context, and once this term is over, evaluate each of these players by their own merits over the course of how they did over this tournament. I think that's very important to not shoehorn players as, oh, they did bad in the Canada game, they did really good in the Haiti game, and instead look at them for what they've done this entire tournament. All right, that's going to be it for the U.S. Men's National Team Corner. A bit of a long one, but there's a lot to cover. We face the winner of Group C, which will be either Jamaica or Costa Rica. Then if we win that, we'll take on the winner of Group D and the runner-up of Group A, the winner of that quarterfinal, I should say which if I had to guess right now would be either El Salvador or Qatar. Those games are not concluded yet at the time of recording, so I guess we will see. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, let's get to the prediction segment where we talk about our predictions from last week and give some predictions on the five big games that are happening this week. The way that this game works, because yeah, it is a game, is uh, Jack and I will predict uh, the scoreline of a game if we get it exactly correct, we get 20 points. If we get not the scoreline correct, but we got the result correct, 10 points. And if we get absolutely nothing correct, that is zero points. We had five very big games. We also had a very big guest on. We had our friend Reed on last week. I was with him, and we gave our predictions on the following games. So let's get into it. First game was Mexico versus Guatemala in the Gold Cup. I'd be lying if I said that Guatemala had a chance, but I'd also be lying if I said that Mexico was great in this game, which is weird to say when Mexico did win 3-0, to zero, but when you have 17 shots, 17 chances, and 70% of the possession, you kind of expect to win by a larger margin, especially when El Salvador was able to win against them 2-0. So kind of expect a little bit more, but you know, still a very good game from Mexico. A brace from Mori, who is a very great bright spot for Mexico this tournament. And a, a goal from Pineda gave them a 3-0 win. I saw the light. I said 3-0 to Mexico for 20 points. Jack and Reed both said 2-0 for Mexico. Just a little bit off the mark there for 10 points. Second game was Atlanta United versus New England Revolution in MLS. Reed is a, uh, an Atlanta United fan, so I had to throw that in. And this game was the quietest I've ever heard Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, Atlanta United are in complete disarray right now. Joseph Martinez has been frozen out by now former Atlanta head coach Gabriel Heinze. This team lacks any goal scoring threat, especially without Martinez. And it's no surprise because of that, this team is near the bottom of the goal scoring table. Defense is serviceable for the most part, but there's no vision going forward. Despite spending so much money on Argentinian designated players, there's just not enough going forward to be confident in them. And so New England were able to capitalize on Atlanta in free fall. Adam Buxa laid the ball off perfectly to Gustavo Bo to bring it to the eventual 1-0 scoreline that this game finished with. It was Bo's 7th of the season, 7th goal of the season, and saw New England maintain their 4-point lead over 2nd place Philadelphia Union in the East. I said a 2-2 draw, kind of dumb by me, so it's 0 points for me. Jack and Reed both guessed New England was going to win. Jack 2-1, Reed 3-0. They both get 10 points. 
Next game is Minnesota United versus Seattle Sounders. Everyone knows that Jack and I are fans of Minnesota United. A lot of things went Minnesota's way this game. Seattle were missing seven starters due to injury and international break. It was at Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. And the ref admittedly called way more fouls against Seattle than Minnesota. But still, that's just kind of how soccer works sometimes. Seattle, understandably, played for the draw. Of course, they're missing like half their team at this point. But, you know, to their credit, they had a very strong defensive performance that was beat out by the sheer effort that Minnesota put in. Minnesota didn't have many chances, which is a cause for concern when the expensive new attacking duo Uno and Fragapane they brought in aren't really firing the past three games. But, well, whatever, whatever. But the one chance that they did have, they scored. It was hands in to Robin Lud, the Finnish monster himself, tapped it in for the goal past uh, Stefan Cleveland, breaking Seattle's 13 game unbeaten streak and getting Minnesota their first win over Seattle in the MLS era. So, you know, we won one to nil. Very great. Very great. Seattle are still in first and Minnesota now get to climb up to sixth place at 18 points, just above Portland, 16 points. I guessed a one to one draw done by me. Reed guessed a two to one win for Seattle done by him. And Jack amazingly guessed one to nil for Minnesota United FC. Good for him. He gets a whole 20 points. Next game is the U.S. men's national team versus the Canadian men's national team in the Gold Cup. I already talked about this. So it was Shaq Moore in the first minute. I said 3-1 to one for 10 points. Jack said 2-2 two to two draw, 0 points. Reed said 2-0 to zero for 10 points. It was 1-0 if I didn't already say that. Moore scored in the first minute. I already said that. Whatever, whatever, whatever. All right. And the last game we predicted was the Portland Thorns versus the Orlando Pride. I'll be honest, it's really, really late right now, and they started very, very late as well, 9.30 uh, Central Time, 7.30 there. I'm very tired. I'm not going to wait around for this game to finish. It's pretty clearly going to be a Portland Thorns win. I'm, I'm really hoping, at least, because I don't want to have to change this later. Sophia Smith in the 26th minute made it 1-0 for Portland, and Marissa Everett made it 2-0. Uh, so... The overall score lines for that, I guess it's going to be a three to uh, I guess it's going to be a two to one win. Sorry for Orlando Pride. That's not happening. I get zero points for that. Jack and Reed both guessed three to one for a Portland. They get 10 points, meaning the final standings for this prediction segment is going to be 30 points for me. Jack gets a nice 50 points and Reed gets a respectable 40 and yeah, back to uh, the rest of the show. And we're back for next week's predictions. Uh, Jack, Costa Rica versus Jamaica in the Gold Cup uh, group stage, the, the final games there. Who is taking Costa Rica versus Jamaica? Well, I'm going to keep this one pretty simple. Uh, both of these teams are going to be looking for the win here. But Costa Rica, are this is not the same Costa Rica that had a deep run in the 2014 World Cup. They're mm -hmm. also without Francisco Calvo, who we both know from Minnesota United, yep. due to a red card uh, against Suriname. And Jamaica, their team just looks really good at this tournament. Uh, so overall, I'm going to go with Jamaica to win this one. And uh, I'm going to say that it'll be 2-1 to Jamaica. Oh, wow. I had the same scoreline. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I'm going with I'm going with a, a really feisty 3-2 win for Jamaica. Okay. Just because Jamaica have Leon Bailey, Bobby Reed, Shamar Nicholson in attack. Very good for a smaller nation. Not to mention a wall in the goal. 
Andre Blake. Costa Rica, when you look at the, the attackers, you look at the players, bar for bar, pound for pound, I think Jamaica is rising in CONCACAF dominance and Costa Rica are just falling. I'm going to go with the, the tides turning with this, these two teams in Jamaica win as well. I'll take the reins for Sweden, the women's team, versus the U.S. women's national team at the Tokyo Olympics. Yes, the Olympics are finally upon us, which means that we can get a revenge game for Sweden knocking the USA out of the previous Olympics in the quarterfinals. Like I said in the Olympics previews, Jacobson of France, Rolfo, and uh, Olivia Schlo are very good uh, uh, for a player pool uh, like Sweden. But I believe in the U.S. women's national team, especially if Vlatko doesn't try to be cute and put out a roster that he knows will win. If he does that, they will win. I'm talking about Mua sisters, Lavelle, Crystal Dunn, Sauerbrunn, Morgan, Press, Heath, maybe even if, if she's uh, feeling all right. I won't be awake during this game because it's like at 4 a.m. <laughs> Eastern time, so 3 a.m. for us. But I'm feeling... a. Two to nil win for the U.S. Women's National Team. Jack, how are you feeling about them? I'm feeling a little less confident than you. Than you, I don't think they're going to shut out Sweden just okay. because Sweden are so good. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit, a little bit more conservative of a win. I'm going to say three to two, and I don't think that it's that unlikely because we only we beat them by that scoreline just two years ago. And you know, the other thing is the U.S. hasn't lost them in regular time since 2011. Okay. So something tells me that that streak isn't going to give up now. I, I don't know why, but I feel like that the U.S. should take this one, and I'll say three to two for that. All right. I'm hoping for that too. Orlando City versus Philadelphia Union is our next uh, match. It is three versus two in the East. Orlando are on their worst form of the year, getting one point in the last three games. And Philly squeaked out a win against D.C. this weekend. But walking into Orlando and getting a W is a tough ask, especially missing Andre Blake to international duty. Orlando's attack is very dynamic. They haven't been shut out since week one. So I'm giving this to Orlando at home against a shorthanded Philly Union, three to one. Jack, what say you? Well, See, Orlando aren't on the best form right now. Uh, Like you said, a loss to the Chicago Fire, to the Red Bulls, drawing against Toronto. Even at home, they're not looking to be at their very best. And we should also mention, because I'm not sure if you did, that this is the stateside show, Darby. Of course, the stateside show. We've cooperated with them a lot. Uh, Logan and... Why can't Jordan? Why? Oh, I'm tired. I'm <laughs> oh, very no. tired. Well, Logan, we, I'm so yeah. sorry, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Logan and Jordan uh, are are two fantastic co-hosts on the stateside show. They're, these are their two teams. Overall, though, I'm going to agree with Logan on it. He posted on our Twitter. He thinks it's going to be a draw. He's not too confident with Orlando City right now. I'm going to say it's one to one, just like just like he predicted. So kind of boring, but I feel like that's what it's heading towards. All right. All right. Well, Jordan did say two to one for the Philadelphia Union. So I got I think we got all score lines covered there. I think so. Yeah. We'll see who wins the stateside show derby. I'm pulling for Orlando, obviously. Uh, Jack Brazil U23 versus Germany's U23s in Tokyo Olympics, the men's tournament, two contenders in Group D. In fact, in my mind, I think whoever wins this game will win Group D. Yeah. Who do you think is going to take this match? Brazil. 
I'm going to get okay. a start right away. Okay. Uh, we, I, I think we both agreed in our Olympics preview that Brazil is either going to win or come in second in the, in the mm-hmm. men's tournament just because of how good of a team they're bringing. Germany, yes, they brought a good team, but Brazil's is just on another level. And because of that, I think Brazil are going to win this three to one. All right. I, <laughs> I am not that confident in Brazil. Okay. okay. I believe in them. Obviously, they have good players like Richarlison, Martinelli, Anthony. Danny Germ- Alves. Yeah, Dan- yeah, Danny. Grandpa <laughs> Alves. Germany also have very good teams. And I think they're so similar in talent. I can't really separate them. So I'm giving a cop-out answer. I'm going one-to-one. A far Ooh. cry from your scoreline, but you know what? Whatever. And Jack, I'll let you close out this predictions and this episode with Mexico U23 versus the France U23s. Who is winning this? Yeah, well, I predicted France to win this group uh, in our Olympic preview. And consistent with that, I'm going to pick France to win this one. Yes, it's not as strong of a squad as they could have brought, but Mexico's squad is, isn't that great either. They have some good standouts, that, uh, but I think France, just because they have some really st- good standout players in there that I think can make a difference for them, I'm going to go France to win this in a really conservative 1-0 to zero win. All right, all right. I like it, I like it. I also had France win this group. However, I'm AJ. I love chaos. I'm going with the one nil upset win for Mexico. No. Not that I want Mexico to win, but I, I just think it's funny to think about. <laughs> Jack, those are our predictions. How are you feeling compared to last week? Uh, do you feel like you can take this one? Uh, not too confident given that I, I'm recording this literally like two hours after getting off the plane and have not actually yeah. done that much research on these. Uh, so not that confident, but you know, confident enough that I can get some good points, maybe not win, but do well enough. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find us on the socials as always it's at final third show on Twitter and Instagram. If you want the best content though, it's on Twitter because we don't really use Instagram. That much. <laughs> so you know, follow us on Twitter, watch us inter, uh, interact with, uh, with, with people and like talk about MOS, talk about uh, transfers that are coming through and all of that good stuff. Uh, may, maybe, uh, maybe we'll be, I mean, we will be talking about the Olympics. What am I saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I mean, follow us on there if you're interested in that. It will be great. So head on over. Yeah. Head on over to... Uh our Spotify and Apple podcast pages as well. Give us a follow and a rating and a review there. That always helps. We'll give you a shout out if you leave a review on Apple podcasts. Uh, and yeah, tell a friend you enjoy the show. Tell your dad even. I'm sure he'd love to hear about the transfer hots or not. And yeah, we'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. We'll see you same time, same place for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.